When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tony Baselli, officially a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How about it, Duval? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Jaguars coaching staff, some of the new additions that we've had since the last time we gathered. We'll talk about what the schemes might look like offensively and defensively for these new-look Jaguars, and we will look at some in-house free agents for the Jags, who they should keep, who they should let walk, arguments for and against. And then we'll round out this show with a top five free agency wish list for your Jacksonville Jaguars from yours truly and from Jeremy Markoski. Buckle up, Duval. Get those fire extinguishers ready because there are fires over at the at the bank. And we've got a heater for you today. Jeremy, how are we doing? Hey, man, we're doing great. Uh Football season's over, so that's always tough to stomach. Um, the Bengals fell a little flat. Joe Burrow couldn't take them all the way, so that was a little bit of a disappointment. But, you know, all in all, looking back on the year that was, everything outside of Duval seemed fun and delightful. So I'm ready to dive into the offseason and see what's ahead of us. Yeah, and when you t- talk about fan bases, like, gosh, I would have so much rather the Bengals fan base get a, get a Super Bowl victory than – the Rams, a seemingly non-existent fan base, they decided not to show up for the parade today. We're recording Wednesday, February 16th. This is a little late night episode, 8.39 p.m. currently for us here on the East Coast. We're usually getting getting it done a little bit earlier than this, but we both had some stuff going on. So we're, we're getting together a little later than usual. Yeah, Rams Super Bowl parade was today. Matt Stafford did not let the lack of fans impact the time he had it's now kind of becoming a running thing here we're getting our quarterback super swasted at at these super bowl parades and i'm here for it i think it's hilarious to see these guys who are leaders uh you know some of the best leaders in sports quarterback hardest position to play that that exists in sports and you're just getting these guys out there and they're having a hell of a time tom brady matthew stafford hopefully we can get someone fun next year too Oh yeah, maybe uh, maybe it'll be a little Trevor Lawrence action next year. Maybe we can hope. Uh, uh, let me not drunk Trevor Lawrence. I'm here for. That, is he even old enough yet? Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, he is. <laughs> he's 21. But I I did have a, a little realization the other day when when people were talking about it. Joe Burrow's 25, right? Second season in the NFL, Super Bowl bound. Trevor Lawrence is 21 years old. Now I know it's not what we're getting into, so I won't get into that. But that that was just a realization the other day that just kind of 
you know, just slap me back into reality a little bit, but I haven't gotten to see a lot of the parade stuff. So um, I will, as soon as we're done here, go check out Matt Stafford and see uh, what shenanigans he was putting on. But I don't know, man, you can't really beat that Brady walk of shame last year. I think that was definitely one of the best parade moments that I've seen really out of any major championship sports parade in the last, you know, 10 years or so. Oh, certainly. Stafford did not top Brady. Uh, You had Brady throwing the damn Lombardi trophy across the bay. He was doing that sober. (laughs) But Stafford, he had himself a good time today, and I'm happy for him. Um, And speaking of, yeah, like Joe Burrow's 25 years old in his second year, Trevor Lawrence is way younger. There's a potential free agent that I'm going to bring up later. He might not be on my top five wish list, but he's a guy I'm intrigued by. And he's 23 years old right now, going into his fifth season, I believe. Or 24. I I don't even know how that's possible. Actually, no. He'll be going into his fourth year. Because I have to do the math on that. That would be uh, quite the stretch. He's going into his fourth year. He's going to turn 24 years old. Jeez. He was a second-round pick. We'll talk about him later. Not going to bury the lead there. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, at Jeremy Markoski for Jeremy, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar, at Generation Jag, and of course, check out genjag.com, where I just dropped my latest seven-round Jaguars mock draft for 2022. It is fully predictive, which means it's not what I would do, but what I could see the team doing, the team that is currently led by Doug Peterson, of course, the head coach, and Trent Baalke is still the general manager, still at the top of the front office as we sit here on February 16th. That could change, of course, prior to the draft. But if he remains in power, this is kind of the look that I've got going on for that predictive mock. So again, go check it out at genjag.com. Shout out to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Taproom on Roselle. All right, so we all know the Rams are the Super Bowl champs. Uh, Jeremy correctly predicted that the Bengals would go to the Super Bowl. He took them to win. They couldn't quite pull it off. The Rams and that vaunted defensive front came through in the end. And and as we spoke about on this podcast, if you do not have that offensive line, eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. That ended up happening for Joe Burrow and the Bengals, unfortunately. Um, uh, for me, I think Aaron Donald was the MVP of that game. Uh, I'm not sure what your your takeaway on the game is, but I thought Aaron Donald was the best player. I thought what I expected to happen did happen in terms of that defensive line, making it too difficult for Joe Burrow to get the job done. And then my one other takeaway, Zach Taylor. And even Sean McVay in this particular game, the offensive play calling, scheming, sequencing, kind of brutal on both sides. Yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting Super Bowl, to say the least. Uh, in regards to the MVP, I agree. I think Aaron Donald uh, was by far the best player on the field on Sunday. Um, he made his presence known, and, and he's shown us why he is the greatest defensive player of at least our generation. Um, and so, you know, the offense, right? Both of these teams had all been all about, you know, the offense and the firepower that they, you know, have tucked away 
the Rams obviously loaded with stars on both sides of the ball. Uh, and the Bengals offense, you know, was flying high for the last six weeks of the season. And both teams struggled mightily offensively. Zach Taylor with some very interesting personnel decisions and play calling. Um, I think he got away from the run uh, way too early. Um, the Rams, obviously, kudos to them, were stuffing everything. I mean, you really could not do much against that defense. But the Rams and, and what Sean McVay did on Sunday was a little curious to me. And... I mean, I think with with much better play calling, they could have easily blown out the Bengals. Um, and you know, one of my buddies mentioned it. You know how how poorly that game was called. And from what we've seen from Sean McVay in the past, and, and knowing the kind of offensive coach he is and play caller he is, I was a little surprised by just the poor decision making um, and the poor play calling. You know, it looked like they were trying to stretch the field too much uh, without you know kind of developing um, you know that kind of offensive rhythm and. If they would have had a, just a little bit better play calling and, and and you know ran the ball a little bit more effectively, I think they could have very easily blown out this Bengals team. Uh, they kind of made themselves one dimensional. They were taking way too many shots, and it kind of you know bit them in the butt. They were going three and out a lot, especially in the second half after building up an early lead. So I think this game could have very easily um, ha- have been a blowout by the Rams, and they're lucky that uh, Cincinnati didn't, you know, ride that momentum and, and they kept him in the game. Lucky Cincinnati didn't come back and, and, and make a play on that, on that closing drive. Yeah. And I do think you need to give credit to Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator. He's been calling some great games throughout the playoffs and they've got some talent that they've, they've drafted over the last couple of years and added in free agency on that side of the ball it was it was on full display throughout the playoffs, and I think that's a group you can feel really excited about. And and the Bengals, they have I think fifty seven million in cap space, something like that. They can go out and they can address that offensive line, maybe add another star or two elsewhere. And I, it's been tough for teams to rebound from losing in the Super Bowl. If there's a team that should be able to rebound from a Super Bowl loss. It's those Bengals, I think. But yeah, there's a fire at TIAA Bank Field last night. Uh, you, you heard me reference it earlier in the show here. Some golf cart charging stations, I believe, they, they lit up and uh, started a little fire there. They were able to contain it with no injuries. But goodness, what does a fire mean? Does it mean fire just turned bulky? It was just Is trying to walk like, through the building. That's all it was. He's it a was walking what? fire himself. That's just Trent walking through the building. He's a walking fire himself. <laughs> right? Is this a cleansing burn? I don't know. Maybe it's a, you know, we had Tony Baselli getting into the Hall of Fame. We've got a fire. and uh, It's cleansing out with the bad and with the new. I have no idea. But fortunately, no one was injured there. And then, of course, Tony Baselli, Hall of Fame. I know we talked about it a little bit um, last week. He got in. He really did it. The Jaguars finally have a player in the Hall of Fame. He'll be enshrined this fall when the preseason kicks off in Canton at the Hall of Fame game. ton of packages you can check out, travel packages if you want to go see the Jaguars uh, get their first player inducted into the Hall. And Leroy Butler, Duval native, Packers legend, Florida State legend. He'll get his gold jacket too. So, I mean – if you're planning to go to a Hall of Fame game, to an enshrinement weekend, and you're a Jaguar fan, this is the one to do it. I am elated for the Jaguars, for the city, for Tony Baselli. 
it, it, it's just so cool to finally be a part of that club, right? To, to have a player in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, and, and not one that caught the tail end of their career here or, you know, anything like that. Someone who played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't really claim him one day as much as, as he did for this city. And I mean, that sucks, but so th- that, that makes this so much more special, right? Tony Baselli was, was um, a cornerstone of the franchise, the first ever draft pick. I mean, you guys know the story, obviously, if you follow the Jaguars as closely as you do. So just to finally get that fulfillment, right? The, the Jaguars feel like a, a complete full NFL franchise. They're, they are represented at every level from the Hall of Fame all the way down. And, and it's a very cool thing. And I can't wait for more Jaguars to get in the Hall of Fame. And I can't wait to hopefully see the next Hall of Fame career blossom here in Jacksonville, whoever that may be. Yep. Fred should be next. He's deserving. It's going to be tough with that just ridiculous amount of talent that was in the NFL at the running back position during Fred Taylor's prime, but he's absolutely deserving. Um, And you could make the case for Jimmy Smith too, but it's going to be a little bit tougher even for him than it will be for Fred, I think. And yeah, hopefully we can get some more hall of fame resume or hall of fame caliber resumes coming through Jacksonville in the future here. Uh, Jason Lockenfora, who, you know, He's missed on quite a few Jaguars things over the years, but he's been a little better lately, I'd say. He suggests Rick Smith could join the Jaguars' front office. That would make my day. Rick Smith, if you're not familiar with him, former Texans general manager. They made it to the playoffs a whole bunch when he was there. He was the guy pounding the table for Deshaun Watson. He was the guy responsible for drafting J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins. He ultimately lost his power struggle with Bill O'Brien, and then, of course, Bill O'Brien lost his job uh, not too there- long thereafter, kind of ran the Texans organization into the ground. But Rick Smith is a good talent evaluator, re- well-respected by everybody that has worked with him, probably outside of Bill O'Brien there. Uh, but he was, like I said, he was my favorite for the job in 2020 for the GM job for the Jaguars didn't get it. But now if Jason lock has some insider uh, knowledge scoop here, if he could join that front office, whether it be as someone who's helping Trent bulky out or as an EVP, I think that would be a home run. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I know that you were a big um, proponent for leading the campaign to have Rick Smith here in Jacksonville originally, uh, it was always your guy from the beginning, and and if anybody showed you how good he was at his job, it was Bill O'Brien. So if Rick Smith ever, ever wants to just thank somebody for making it clear how good he was at his job, he needs to go to Bill O'Brien. As soon as Bill O'Brien started making the calls on personnel and making those decisions in Houston, the entire organization fell apart. They traded away some of their best players. I mean, it was just absolutely a, a clown show. And, you know, we are familiar to clown shows here in Jacksonville. So it would finally give us some sort of peace of mind that Shad Khan is working to do what he said he was going to do. I still believe he is, right? I still believe there's going to be an EVP put in place. Uh, I still believe we're going to have uh, some more staff, um, you know, underneath and above Trent Bulky, But... The the timing and the speed on which Shot has acted on this has been, you know, obviously extremely slow uh, since they announced the Doug Peterson hiring and since they announced the plans to move forward. You know, people were already kind of thinking maybe he was just saying that 
um, you know, to kind of to calm things down a little bit. We hadn't seen any action, but to now start hearing things like this, you know, to, to hopefully think that Rick Spielman is also still in the mix for some sort of position at Jacksonville, adding those two guys to your front office immediately makes you 200 times better. <laughs> at least. And I think insulating Trent Baalke, like you said, with somebody above him, many people that are beneath him, more brain power, I just think can can do nothing but good for the Jaguars. Now, I don't mind if you have an established GM who can get the job done with only a few guys around him. That's fine. But that's not what you have in Trent Baalke. And if you're going to keep Trent Baalke around, you need to insulate him with a bunch more uh, quali- qualified and quality uh, minds that know about scouting, uh, you know, player acquisition, all the stuff you need in a front office and people that are going to work collaboratively with each other. Um, so I think, like I said, adding guys like that, especially a Rick Smith to the mix, that would really, really just elevate this front office. Now, you were talking about the timing. I don't think Shad Khan is not looking to do that. I don't think that was just lip service. But free agency, it is right around the corner. I mean, we are really up against it here, and the draft is not too far after that. So, I mean, you got the combine in less than two weeks now. You're going to have pro days if you're going to add people to this front office, like if you're going to do it now, are they going to be in charge uh, heading into this draft process and this free agency process? Or is it going to be like, they can need to assimilate and start working towards 2023. I don't know what that process is going to be like. I don't know how long it's going to take to get a guy ready. If they're going to be above Trent Baalke um, to be the leader there. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple weeks and potentially months. Well, right. And, and that's why it's so frustrating because even if it's not feasible to get somebody in the building and have them be an effective part of free agency or maybe even the draft, the combine scouting, all that kind of stuff, waiting doesn't get you any closer to the latter being possible either. So that's just where it kind of really gets frustrating, right? You know, it's not necessarily that you know, making that higher is going to necessarily change anything moving forward, at least immediately. But the change needs to be made now, right? So to even give yourself that possible chance of having these guys, you know, Rick Smith and Rick Spielman and guys who have great, vast NFL experience, even to have somewhat of a chance of having any input in free agency and in the draft, when you have to have it now, I don't think you can wait till 2023, right? You can't work to assimilate this this front office for 2023 you don't have that much time i think this year is decisive if there is not vast improvement this year things are going to be i think extremely difficult and extremely different again next off season so i understand that there's obviously a risk that you may not really even be able to get any input from them in this situation but waiting still negates any time that you could possibly have yeah, I agree with you. It's crazy that Balky had a hell of a draft it's looking like last year. His free agent class obviously not looking very good for the most part. But uh, I wouldn't expect lightning to strike twice with that type of draft with Trent Balky being the head guy. But yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe they'll get somebody in here quickly. Who knows? Um, but one thing I do know, Nate Dean has joined Jen Jag as a contributing writer. 
excited to have him on board. You can go check out his first piece, genjag.com. He offers five off-season roster moves the Jaguars should consider. You can go follow him at NathanDean904 on Twitter. Really excited to have him. Hopefully we can get him on the show here soon. Talk some ball, intro him to all of our listeners, and uh, just keep this train rolling. Excited to have him. Yeah, and super excited to have Nathan. Um, you know, saw some of that stuff that he that he put out there for us this week, and, and it looked great. And like you said, just to have somebody else to share the same passion with what we're doing here. I mean, it's always fun. It's always fun to have somebody else that that shares that love for the Jaguars that you do. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to get him on here, um, introduce him everybody, and and really get to work with him myself. So, hell yeah. So. We have an addition to our roster here. The Jaguars reportedly have a few additions to their coaching staff. Deshae Townsend, I'm sure a lot of people remember him from his days in Pittsburgh. He played there for about 10 years, I think, cornerback. He is joining the Jaguars staff. Um, he started as a, a DB coach at Arizona State in 2011, got his first NFL gig in 2015 with the Titans as their DB coach. He was most recently the secondary coach in Chicago. Um, he was reportedly going to go join the Viking staff in Minnesota, but that fell apart and he'll now reportedly take on the role as the secondary coach and passing game coordinator. So kind of an upgrade in title and in responsibility there for Deshae Townsend. Super exciting to finally have someone turn around and choose Jacksonville. Right. Like that never happens. It's always the other way around. Like Jacksonville is looking to hire so and so or looking to sign so and so. Psych, they went somewhere else. Finally, having it the other way around is so refreshing, so nice, even if it's not, you know, as impactful as a coordinator or a head coach or, or a big time free agent. But it's just finally nice to see that's a possibility that people want to be here in Jacksonville. We haven't had that in a long time. So if that's what Doug Peterson is bringing, you know, just like an attractive place to be, to coach, to grow. I mean, we're already taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, you're right about that. And it's another former player. Almost all these guys that have been added to the defensive staff have been former players. Um, and off, on offense, it's a ton of former quarterbacks for the most part. Um, Bill Shuey. he was the Bears' inside linebackers coach. He will also join the staff in the same role he was with the Eagles for 10 years, kind of rose up through their coaching tree under Andy Reid, um, worked with Doug Peterson and defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell in Philly. So there's an obvious connection there. And he also worked with Deshae Townsend in Chicago. So you're getting some some chemistry that should be there between several of these coaching staff members on defense. Yeah, don't know too much about, about Mr. Shuey, but um, you know continuity and relationships – within a coaching staff are paramount, right? A coaching staff that works well together, understands each other's language and lingo. I mean, there, there's really not anything better for a football team to hit the ground running when all the coaches are on the same page. And he's come from some great coaching trees, as Doug Peterson has as well. And so they're obviously very intertwined, and I'm very excited to see what he'll do here as well. Yeah, and then Richard Angulo, former Jaguars tied in, Richard Angulo. Joining the staff as the tight ends coach, he's had an interesting coaching journey with the Ravens. He's been with them for a while. He used to be their tight ends coach. Most recently was their assistant O-line coach. Um, but like I said, he has coached the tight ends in the past. He's a former tight end himself. Uh, happy to have him back in Jacksonville. Another former player, young guy that these guys can identify with. 
Yeah, and another guy who chose to, you know, I, I don't know if you would call it a lateral move. He a little bit of an upgrade, but coach. still. So maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit of upgrade, but, but a guy who, again, wanted to leave the current situation that he was in and come to a similar situation, but with the Jaguars, right? Not something you see very often. So um, obviously there must have been something there for him to attract him to come here, and it's got to have something to do with Doug Peterson, I would assume. So, you know, it's just great to see. Former Jaguar himself, like you mentioned, old-time Jaguar, obviously wasn't here too, too long. But again, just a good addition to the staff, I think. Yeah, and I can't remember if he like has a connection from his playing days to this staff. I'm going to check that out real quick. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, and I, I know I looked at this before and I didn't see anything. But yeah, and I don't now. He never played with... Um, Never played with the Eagles or any of the teams that that have been heavily poached from here for this coaching staff. But yeah, good to have him here. Obviously, six foot eight. That guy was a monster back in the day. Big blocking tight end. He, he was decent in Jacksonville. Was here for about two seasons. I I think he he was in Jacks and then bounced over to Cleveland. Came back in the same season. But yeah, he's a guy I remember. Obviously, the Jaguars tight ends have never been. Much to write home about, but Angulo was certainly, he's a guy I remember and a guy that I think will help, will help with this staff. And like I said, another former player who is young, who can identify with, with young players. And I think getting another guy from Baltimore, who that's another just model organization. If you can get guys from Baltimore on your staff, that's a good thing. The Jaguar tight end aura, just just phenomenon. I, it, it absolutely compels me. I think it's the greatest thing ever. It's one of two things, right? You you remember every tight end from Jacksonville because they're either really really good, and we've only had two of those. I would say Kyle Brady, Mercedes Lewis, and then everyone else is just so random and so far in between that you don't forget them. Richard Angulo being one of those guys, but. Like I said, he's a monster, 6'8". I mean, I didn't realize he was that big. I don't remember him being that big here, but it definitely alludes to why he was part of that offensive line coaching staff. That's for sure. Yeah, He was primarily blocking of, tight end here. Like, yeah, he didn't really have pictures. a ton of receptions. He's yeah, a look at the dude. pictures of him from his playing days, man. 6'8", 283. Big old biceps, that big old tattoo on his arm, too. Like that's, yeah. He was a massive dude. I think he was like 85. Yep. At least for the Jaguars, he was. Um but yeah, so those are some of the new additions to the coaching staff. And speaking of the coaching staff, we want to talk a little bit about the schemes. We don't know, obviously. There's going to be evolution for what we've seen from Doug Peterson before. There's going to be differences in what Mike Caldwell does to what his mentor, uh, um, Todd Bowles, has done. But I think we're going to see a lot of similarities to what we've seen in the past from the offense and the defense here in Jacksonville. So Doug Peterson's offense origins come from that West coast, Mike Holmgren, Andy Reed, a lot of quick timing based stuff, quick drops. Uh, but it's been evolving over the last 20 plus years, obviously as NFL offenses do uh, Peterson likes to get his quarterbacks on the move. You saw that with Carson Wentz. Loves the RPOs. I'm sure we'll see the read option stuff as well that we saw that Trevor could execute on this year. And uh, just because it's a West Coast offense, that doesn't mean you're not going to see shots. You're not going to see creativity and an attempt to create chunk plays. But I believe he'll tailor this offense around what Trevor Lawrence does well. And, and what he doesn't do well, they're going to try to avoid those types of things. But... Um, 
I think you're going to see a lot of that in the passing game. And then in the running game, uh, Doug Peterson has been doing a lot of zone, outside zone rushing attacks throughout his time. They brought in the OL coach from Minnesota. They've been doing a ton of outside zone with Dalvin Cook and those guys out there in Minnesota. So I think that's what you're going to be looking at here in this offense. You absolutely will. Could have said it better myself. Doug Peterson's offense um, is a fantastic scheme, I think, for the young talent that we have here in Jacksonville. When I think of Doug Peterson's offense, right, I, I think of those uh, you know, West Coast quick game routes, but also a very vertical offense. With his last few years in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz, they really liked to air the ball out. He likes quarterbacks to have big arms. He likes to suck you in with with the zone running scheme and then throw the ball over the top. I think it, it's going to pair great with Trevor Lawrence's skill set and then hopefully getting Travis Etienne back, right? A good speedy back. I think that outside zone works really well for him. Now, something that he will have to to kind of change and, and kind of alter a little bit is that offensive line uh, because that, that like you said, that outside zone, it, it takes a lot of speed, a lot of technique, right? Doug Peterson has always had more agile uh, offensive linemen, especially in the middle, the center and the guards, not necessarily were always the biggest. Jason Kelsey is a little bit of a smaller center, but very agile, very versatile, can reach defenders across their shoulders and stuff like that. So um, that's what you're going to see a lot of, especially up front from Doug Peterson, a lot of inside zone and outside zone run schemes, not necessarily power and pulling stuff. I'm sure you'll see some of it, but that vertical offense, that vertical zone run, I think is what you're going to see with the guys that we have here. Tyler Linderbaum at one. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I, <laughs> I love Tyler Linderbaum and he's going to be an awesome center. If he goes to the right team, that's going to run the outside zone like the Jaguars will. But no, you can't take him at one. Yeah, unfortunately, and, and, and he he is a great. Uh, honestly, when I look at the prospect list for offensive linemen, he's one of the guys that that I have my eye on a lot. He does fit that mold exactly. You said like outside, mobile, agile guy. I mean, he does move extremely well. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, the Eagles have three first-round picks. Why don't you just draft Jason Kelsey's replacement? Yeah, you might as well, right? That's a guy that I would like, and uh, this is completely off-topic now we're going there, but that's a guy that I would like to see the Jaguars potentially pursue. I just don't know how you do it unless you get back into the first round. And do you really want to trade up for a center? You, I mean, you if you, you trade it back, back up into the first round? Yeah, I don't think he's going to make and then it. You, the you, you think it would take a first-round pick to get Jason Kelsey? Oh, to get Jason Kelsey. I yeah, thought you were saying to get Linderbaum. My bad. No, 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 no. No, you mentioned Jason Kelsey, and I just off topic. That's a guy that I, I yeah. have very seriously thought about over the last few weeks. The Jaguars, I think, should really pursue a guy like Jason Kelsey. I just think you would need a commitment. He's been, you know, kind of waffling with the retiring for a little while. It's a right. little scary. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if you I think, could get I think him in here for a few years. If you get him in here for three Changes, years, yeah. that'd be huge. Just move Linder over scenery, to guard. Fresh young – well, here's what I'm thinking, and, and we'll kind of get into some free agency as well because the center is, is an interesting thought process for me that this offseason. But a fresh new face, right? Former coach, love the guy. He went on a tirade about him in the Super Bowl parade, right? Bring him back in a fresh new environment with a fresh young quarterback. Might rejuvenate his career a little bit. Yeah, I'd love it. Um, 
I think if, if you can do that and get a solid two to three year commitment from him, I'd be all for it. I don't know what it would take, but having a Jason Kelsey and a Doug Peterson offense is a very good thing yeah. uh, on the, and, and somebody asked me recently about who fits the zone outside zone specifically um, better James Robinson or Travis Etienne. I think the answer is both. Um, Robinson has a better feel and vision and I think patience as a runner, and that's going to serve him well. But Travis Etienne, he has that that speed and that contact balance, a little power. Uh, I don't think he has elite vision at this point, but he, he's got so much physical ability. I think both guys really do uh, have have – a lot of potential in this type of offense. Yeah, they, they both have great, like I said, potential in this offense. They both fit very nicely, and and they both do exactly what they're supposed to do. Travis Etienne would be a fantastic back for outside the tackle carries, right? When you reach that outside guy, that that end or that linebacker, right? It does take you know you don't. It does take time for for the running back obviously to get across the formation outside of that tackle box, and those are hard blocks to hold. Right, you can't really hold that block without holding a faster guy as he tries to fight over the top of you. So you need a back who can get out there quick and get outside and use those those outside scoop blocks, is what they call them, really those reach blocks. Travis Etienne would be a phenomenal, phenomenal running back for that, just like you mentioned. And, and James Robinson between the tackles, I mean, really over the last two years when he's played and, and when they've actually utilized him, who's been better? Mm-hmm. And then I think both are going to be able to hit those cutback lanes that you get in some of those zone rushing attacks. Um, Defensively, you're going to see attacking multi-front, 3-4 base defense. A lot of zone looks on the back end. I think that's great for Tyson Campbell. I mean, really, it's going to look similar in my mind to what Joe Cullen was running in the back half of 2021. You had Cullen come in. He wanted to run a ton of man-to-man. He had to adjust to his personnel, run more zone to help those guys out. And I think that's what you're going to likely continue to see under Caldwell. I do think you might see more games, more exotic blitzes, uh, but you saw some of that from Cullen as well. Saw plenty of it from Cullen. I don't think you're going to see – I don't think like the lay person is going to see a ton of difference between these two defenses. Yeah, probably not. I know Doug Peterson likes the three, four approach. He mentioned that in the press conference as well. Um, or maybe it was at the press conference, but I know that he did mention it. And yeah. I think that's what fits Jacksonville's personnel right now as it is, right? You, your edge guys are really going to be stand up speed guys. You've got some betweeners. Don't get me wrong. I think Roy Robertson Harris is a good tweener, and so is Dewan Smoot, and he balled out this year. But I think you're going to see more of that 3-4, a lot of zone, like you mentioned. Um, with Doug Peterson being a, a mostly an offensive guy, I did want to go back and look at the kind of defenses that they ran in, in Philadelphia and kind of the um, tendencies, especially when it comes to, to the blitzes and stuff like that. But I think that might vary a little bit because, like I mentioned, Doug Peterson is mostly an offensive guy. He'll obviously have some say in his defense, but I think Mike Caldwell – is going to obviously bring different tendencies uh, with his system, with his scheme. So what I'd be really interested to see is in Caldwell's scheme, how many times do they blitz out of zone? Because I think this defense could be very effective with the speed that they have, especially in the back half, if they were to blitz a little bit off uh, more often. Oh, they're going to. 
and they're going to run a ton of zone, assuming he brings over what he did with Todd Bowles over the last decade or so. And and looking at what Doug Peterson has done as a head coach, I think he's really kind of given a lot of autonomy to that defensive coordinator. And that's yeah. not to say that he doesn't have his say in it, but um, he's not going to be managing that defense the same way he's managing that offense. There's There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I didn't even think about. I mean, yeah, Todd, Todd Bowles would be a, a definitely a great guy to go look at as well and kind of get a taste of, of what we might see. Because um, I think, um, what's his face was under Caldwell was under Bowles also. Yeah, and they're both in Tampa. Yeah, Caldwell um, was under Bowles for like the last ten years. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that would, that'd be a great guy to look. I don't know what Bowles' tendencies are as much. Do you, Do you remember if he if they're a yeah. blitz heavy zone scheme? Oh yeah, they blitz and they run zone. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> they send pressure. They, they play games up front um, mm-hmm. and they play a ton of zone. And th- that really works for Tyson Campbell. I think it's going to work for Josh Allen as long as he can get some more help um, on the other side. And that's no slight at Dewan Smoot. He's just a three in my mind. He just is. He's not. Yeah. He's not that guy, you know? No, yeah, you, you need you need outside linebackers that can stretch the line of scrimmage and, and range across the field, or you're going to be unsuccessful trying to stop the run at all whatsoever. But what we kind of saw last year, especially with a guy like Rudy Ford, who can play that big nickel position, and and I, in my opinion, was a, a pretty decent tackler. Get a couple more guys like that. You know, they're going to be linebacker heavy because they use a lot of those guys on special teams. They've said it multiple times already. If you can get some guys that are really great at setting the edge and making great tackles along the edge here that zone blitz scheme is going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, I think, and we'll talk about this more. I think you need to upgrade the safety next to Cisco. And I think you need a, yep. I think you need a nickel corner. You currently have a nickel safety in my opinion. And Rudy Ford. I think you also need a nickel corner. Yeah. Like someone yeah. who is more coverage based. They just need more depth at corner in general. I mean, truthfully, Absolutely. They, they, they have that's none. That's true. I, I mean, that's why Rudy Ford got and... in the lineup as a nickel last year. Right. And that we talked about their plan before. entering the season, really. He was a special teamer. Yeah. That's what he was brought in here to do. They talked about it when they signed him. Rudy Ford, his purpose was special teams. And, and he showed that he could be very serviceable on the defense. So I will give him that. He's probably one of the better signings. That came from this year. I think both of our signings, the best signings that we had this offseason on offense and on defense, both were guys that are brought in to bring to, to be special teamers and Jamal Agnew and Rudy Ford. That's very true. So that's a, a little look at you know some of the schematics. Obviously, we'll dive way deeper into it as we get closer and closer to the season. But that should give you a basic idea of what to expect from the offensive and defensive side of the ball from a schematic standpoint. Now it is time for us to look at in-house free agents for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Free agency right around the corner, coming up early and mid-March. Let's look at some in-house free agents for the Jaguars. Cam Robinson played last year under the franchise tag, starting left tackle, 26 years old. What are we doing with Cam Robinson? Man, I have gone back and forth with this. You know that I've been on the fence. I, I 
at first, you know, thought we would be fine to let him walk. Then last week, I really had a very deep feeling that we can't let him walk. We need the depth. We need the depth. I think the biggest thing that we always, as fans, you know, yes, we want to move on from certain players because they do not live up their expectations and we want to upgrade. Yes. But I think you put yourself in a really tough hole when you do that one-to-one swap. However, the more that I've looked into what is available in free agency and, and I've kind of you know, gotten deeper uh, into that whole situation as we you know, focus on it from now until when free agency hits through the podcast and everything, I've got other ideas. I think Cam Robinson, honestly, you let him walk at this point. You let him walk. I think we both agree that the best player in the draft right now and the guy that the Jaguars should target at number one overall is Evan Neal. Now, you have to make some other moves in free agency, and I'll go into this a little bit later when we talk about out-of-house free agents, right? That you have to still bolster that offensive line, but I think if, if you are set with Evan Neal, you have to go ahead and let him walk. You cannot re-sign Cam. You've got to send that money elsewhere. Could not agree with you more. Cam Robinson, in my mind, is a slightly above-average starting left tackle. Is that terrible? No, but in my mind, left tackle is a lot like quarterback. If you don't have an elite guy, a top 10 type of guy, you're looking to replace him for the most part. Uh, and I think that's what you got to do with Cam Robinson. I don't think you pay him what you would have to pay him under the franchise tag for a second year in a row or what you would have to pay him to keep him around. SpotRack currently has him as $17 million market value per, per year. I think that money can be uh, much more effectively used elsewhere than spending it on Cam Robinson. And like you said, Evan Neal, Cam Robinson, I'm taking Evan Neal all day. You can disagree with that if you want, but I see Evan Neal as a future pro bowler, maybe a future all pro, and someone who is going to be better than Cam Robinson from day one. Sure, I could be wrong about that, but that's my take on that. I'm rolling with Evan Neal over Cam Robinson, if you're talking about that. Um, And frankly, you've got Walker Little. He can play left tackle. I'm down to roll with Walker Little over Cam Robinson, too. Now, Andrew Norwell, this is an interesting one. 30 years old now, was one of the highest-paid guards in in the league when the Jaguars signed him. He's had some ups and downs. I'll I'll take a first crack at this guy. I'm going to say you got to let him walk. He's coming off one of his worst seasons as a pro. And you're talking about a zone-heavy rushing attack where you got guys that are getting on the move, moving laterally, trying to work uh, vertically as well. Andrew Norwell, for all the things he has done well in pass protection, he ain't a mover. He is stiff. He is slow. He is not a zone guard. It uh, It's definitely not the best situation to be in when both of your guards are free agents and you think that both of them are not necessarily a a great fit for the new offense or be very good football players in general. But I think you have to keep one of them. You have to keep one of them. I don't think you can let both guards walk and potentially try to, uh, you know, replenish the guard position through free agency and the draft. I just don't think that the numbers are there. So personally, if you ask me, it's Norwell or can you have to keep one. And I think you keep Norwell. I think can may fit a little bit better in that agile moving zone scheme that we just talked about, but I don't think he's a good enough football player to overshadow 
what Norwell could give you. We've seen what Norwell can do when he's at his best. He has had some good, good times here in Jacksonville. He's had some poor times as well. And yes, last season was very, very difficult for him. But when has AJ can ever shown that he's even remotely the offensive guard that Andrew Norwell is? And if you're going to make a big signing, you know, the only real guy that you're going to really have to go after here, I think, is Brandon Scherf. And what's the realistic possibility that he chooses to come to Jacksonville? I don't think you can bank on that. I want to throw as much money at him as possible because he is the best guard in this free agent class, but I don't think it's realistic. I don't think you put all of your eggs in one basket. So I think you've got to bring back Norwell. That doesn't mean that he has to start. You're going to have to get a discounted rate for him. You're not going to pay him nearly as much as you have been, and you'll have to accept a hometown discount. But is the market for him going to be really that crazy this year? I don't think so. I agree. It's not going to be crazy. I'm going to let somebody else pay him whatever they want. I don't care. I'm going to let somebody else pay AJ Cam whatever they want to. 30 years old, has not been able to stay consistent, hasn't been healthy. Um, look, you're right. Losing both starting guards and your starting left tackle, that's scary. That's an offensive line that gave up a lot of pressure last year. I don't think they did a great job in the running game. I'm ready to let them all walk um, outside of Brandon Linder in the starting lineup. And th- does that mean you're going to have to attack it once you know unrestricted free agency starts? Absolutely. If you can't get Scherf, maybe you try to bring back one of these guys if you can't upgrade it. But I think you try to upgrade it. And um, you've got Ben Barch in-house. I think Barch is as good as can, if not better. Um, he's a former tackle. He has the athleticism to move, I think, a little bit. And there's plenty of guys in free agency, in my mind, that can improve your interior offensive line over Norwell and can. We will get into that. I think there's a lot of guys in the guard that could be immediate. I mean, not <laughs> speaking too quickly a little bit here. A lot of guys in the draft as well that could be immediate upgrade certainly over AJ can Taven Bryant speaking of the draft what a disappointment he is entering unrestricted free agency do we even need to talk about this one I mean I'd bring him back for a league minimum realistically <laughs> but, but that's okay. it how about this Taven Bryant or Adam Gotsis both at the same price yeah all things being equal how old is Adam Gatsas? He's 29. Taven Bryan's about to be 26. Yeah, I'd probably still take Taven Bryan, but again, being 100% serious in this situation, this is like, he would be the bottom guy on my roster. He would be the bottom guy on my depth chart. In the, I mean, if he's the, the, the bottom guy on your interior off a defensive line. I don't think that's the worst position you could be in. And he's a little bit younger than Gotsis. I personally would take Dave and Brian in that situation. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm talking league men. <laughs> I'm just Absolute saying, I, I'll take Gotsis, man. Guaranteed bottom of my depth chart. I'll take, I'll take the, the extra couple years of youth and hopefully his body's not, you know, nearly beaten up. I mean, 29 really, especially for a lineman, it's interior defensive lineman. I mean, you're getting there, right? You could have any breakdown in the body. I just think you take a little bit of youth there and, and just keep him on the bottom of the depth chart anyway. I'll take the Aussie. I'll take the guy who actually knows how to make plays in the backfield. Jihad <laughs> Ward is also a free agent, only signed a one-year deal, kind of came over following Joe Cullen. Joe Cullen's gone. Is Jihad Ward also gone? G- 
Jihad Ward stays if he's a good locker room guy. And I don't really know how I personally – I don't know how, how that whole situation is in there. He seems to be a guy that guys kind of rally around. He's not going to um, you know, Certainly come a at an insane cost. He's definitely a personality. I, d- I don't quite know where I stand on his on his position in that locker room and, and, and with what happened in, in the past year and the things we've seen on social media and in the past. I'm not quite sure where I stand on him. But, you know, again, another guy that you could give minimum money to. And I don't think – I think you have worse options, obviously, out there for a guy who's going to be towards the bottom of your depth chart. I don't think he should be in the same role that he was this year. You still have to upgrade, but I think he's a, a good depth piece at a good price. Yeah. So Trey Herndon, Jaguars brought him back on a one-year deal last year, was injured really for most of the season dealing with that MCL. Do you bring him back as cornerback depth, nickel depth, 25 years old, about to be 26? I mean, again, it just, if you let him go, what do you have? I mean, you have nothing. You only have so many picks. And you need depth guys. Um, if the price is right, and you know it's cheap home, the price discount, will be right. <laughs> right, agreed. Like, you know, he didn't really do anything last year. He's had some flashes, and again, you know, before people freak out and and you know, over the fact that we're talking about keeping these people, you still need a certain amount of guys in every position. You still need depth. Again, I think you could do a lot worse if Trey Hernan was your fourth or fifth cornerback on the depth chart. If that's where you get him, and that's where you slot him, then I think. Absolutely, you keep him for depth. Now, if he if you swing and miss, and he's again a top two or three cornerback on your roster, which I don't think he was this year, and will continue to be, but if he, you know, is that close, then I think you're in a serious, serious bad situation. Yeah, easily. All right, so Damian Wilson, Jaguars brought him in. They traded Joe Schobert away because they wanted Damian Wilson to enter the starting lineup. He had some magnificent moments as a run stopper, even made some plays as a as a uh, coverage backer. Certainly was not consistent as a coverage backer. Kind of lacked some consistency in run defense as well, but his highs were just like, I mean, monster stuff. Huge hits in the backfield, blowing people up. He's 28 years old. Do you want Damian Wilson back as your middle linebacker? I don't. I've seen enough from Shaq Quarterman to think that he is a guy that could give me the same type of, of fit that Damian Wilson could. I also think you've got a guy in Dylan Moses who um, did some rehab this year, and you might want to see what you have there. I don't think you spend the money uh, to bring back a 28 or 29-year-old middle linebacker. Um, I don't know what his what his value is either. I haven't really looked into his market value, but this team low. has been right low, I would assume, yes, as well, but Doug Peterson had mentioned it, and I just mentioned it a few minutes ago. They're going to be very linebacker heavy. They're going to have a bunch of linebackers on the roster. Um, you know, I don't think that Damian Wilson fits that type of linebacker that they're looking for. They're going to be looking for, um, you know, kind of uh, more tweener guys who are going to really be able to range, really, you know, kind of big nickel guys, right? It's obviously much bigger than a corner, but, um, you know, smaller than your typical linebacker. I don't, I don't really see a need to bring him back. I think they're going to build depth in that position through free agency as a whole and through the draft, but I don't think Damian Wilson is one of those guys. I'm with you on Damian Wilson, and I would not have a problem if they brought him back to be a depth piece, but if you want him in the starting lineup again next year, I think you've missed. Straight up. 
not good yeah. enough to be an upper echelon starter at middle linebacker. So I don't think that he should be in the future plans unless it's as a reserve type player. Tyler Shatley. Now that's a reserve. Can play center, can play guard. As Gus Bradley famously said, his strength is his strength. I would say his versatility is his strength. Love Tyler Shatley. He's 30 years old, soon to be 31 years old. I don't care what his age is. You bring this guy back and maybe sign him to a couple-year deal for the first time in his career for crying out loud. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Tyler Shatley has been not only the most stable, but the most productive and reliable backup offensive lineman that the Jaguars have had for the last five or six years. I mean, maybe as as, ever. Let's be realistic here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't really as know. A backup. I don't remember a ton of backup Jaguars offensive linemen, but I do know Tyler Shatley, and I will remember Tyler Shatley. He, he is definitely somebody who has made his name known here as, an, as a backup offensive lineman, so I think that tells you enough. He can play both guard positions. He can play center. Um, when he has had to step in for Brandon Linder, which has been quite frequent, he's done a great job. I think you can count on him. I think when we talk about depth, that's the perfect guy that you want. We need more depth. You have to keep him around. Yeah, I'm with you there. Love that guy. And he's a Clemson guy. You know, keep the Clemson guys around. Make Trevor happy. Let's do it. So I don't think we need to run through every single (laughs) unrestricted free agent for the Jaguars here because there are quite a few. But let's look at DJ Chark, who's obviously a hot-button topic. He's 25 years old, has dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career, some pretty bad quarterback play. His spot rack market value is $11.9 million. So let's just say $12 million over a four-year deal, uh, $48 million total. What do we think? DJ Chark, he is – we know he can stretch the field. We know he can uh, be a guy that can go up and make plays on the ball with his frame and catch radius. We also know he struggles to stay healthy. What are we thinking? I think DJ Chark – you truly let test the market. And and what I mean by that is let him go out. I wouldn't extend a qualifying offer right off the bat. I'd let him go out. I would let other teams set the market for him, right, and see if it's even worthwhile bringing him back. If he demands a high number, I don't think he's worth anything remotely near $10, $11, million. Now, and that's obviously yearly. Now, if you can get him on a one your cheap prove-it deal where you can outpay the next team behind you by a couple million and, and maybe secure him and not really make a huge dent into your available cap space, then you'd be remiss not to bring him back. Like you said, he does stretch the field. He's shown flashes at times of being an excellent wide receiver. I think he's a great number two or number three. I don't think he's a number one. And he has trouble staying healthy, but he has speed and he has the ability to make some really good plays. So if the price is right, let him test the market. If you can get him back at a price that feels right to you without overpaying, you would have that leverage, I think, to keep him here. And I think you can look into it. I'm not really sure. I can't give you a definite answer on this one, um, but that's what I think they should do with it. Yeah, to me, it's all about the plan, not as much about the money. Because let's face it, $12 million for a wide receiver, it's not a ton. Uh, you're going to be end up paying him over his first year out 
for his cap hit, it's going to be about six, five, six, seven million bucks. That's not a whole lot. Probably can uh, go ahead and include one of those two year outs in this kind of contract. I'm good with bringing him back. Now, I'm not good with bringing him back if that impacts your plans to sign another free agent wide receiver who has more of a potential to be a legitimate number one type of target. If DJ Chark, if your plan, and I tweeted this, if, if your plan is to bring him back, and for him to be your starting X receiver and your primary target, I don't agree with that. If your plan is for him to be a field-stretching X, where you have other guys that can win in the slot, um, maybe a Chris Godwin, who we'll talk about later. But, you know, if he is a complementary piece that just happens to play the X receiver and be a field-stretcher, I'm 100% in on bringing him back. Yeah, he just can't be your number one option. 100% right. agree. You have to go out and find an alpha, whether it be hopefully through free agency, because I don't think you can definitely go out there and draft a wide receiver and, and just say, oh, this is my alpha. It doesn't really happen that often. But, uh, you know, don't you think, though, and, and, and just kind of just a follow-up question to that, because I lean still towards more of not necessarily needing him. We still need the depth. We need some sort of playmakers. But we do have comparable guys, in my opinion, Speed wise, with Jamal Agnew, we have um, really a big body receiver in Laquan Treadwell. He's not, he's not, but I'm saying, do you think those two skill sets that you just presented, DJ Chark has them in one body? He does, he does 100% agree. But if he's just going to be, if he's not going to be, if if he's not going to be an every play guy, now he doesn't have to be your number one, but he's got about be out there every single play. Can't you fill the void with the money you spend on him with, with all these other guys that have some of those skill sets as well? If he's not going to be your number one anyway, or he's not going to be your go-to guy, he's not going to see the field for at least 70% of your offensive snaps. You know, I you could use I those other sign him abilities. if that's the case. I'm saying he's okay, your so, starting so not even X, just, but he's not your number one target, if that makes sense. Yeah. He is yeah, your X. Yeah your field stretcher, but that does not mean he's your number one target. He's your guy that opens up everything else because when he's healthy, the defense has to respect the speed and the ability to go make plays on the ball deep down the field. Right. You're right. And, and putting and all I'm of not those saying, I'm not saying he into has one is better. I'm not saying he has to be re-signed, but I'm saying if you re-sign him and that's your plan, I like that plan. I'm good with that plan. Yeah. Could I like a different plan better? Yeah, sure. I mean, I like Mike Williams better than DJ Chark. <laughs> Absolutely. There's plenty of guys I like better than DJ Chark. But if you're bringing him back for that type of role, I'm in on it. A couple more guys we could look at here that they're not really as big a deal as a as a receiver like of DJ Chark's caliber. But Andrew Wingard, he was a starter last year for some freaking reason. Uh, he's a restricted free agent. So the Jaguars will have the ability to retain him if they want to, but goodness, I'd like to see him elsewhere. I would like to say that Andrew Winger could be a special teams guy, but I don't even know if I can trust him to be in the right place on special teams. I feel like we've seen that movie before too. I think Andrew Winger is a no doubt. You got to let him walk. You have to let him walk. He's made some plays, but come on, man. Yeah, there's a few other people. I'll just run through them, and you can say if you've had. I want to wait. Oh, I, I definitely yeah. want to go through. Oh, oh, I guess he's not a free agent this upcoming year. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. 
So we've got um, James O'Shaughnessy, who's obviously been a starter at times here at tight end. Nevin Lawson had to start some games, even though he got signed during the season at cornerback. Tavon Austin, Laurenti McRae, Jacob Hollister, Laquan Treadwell. Will Richardson is a former fourth-round pick by the Jaguars. Um, what do we think? And any of those guys need to stay? No, no, no. There, there was not a single individual on that list that you just named that, that I would say we have to to prioritize keeping or even remotely explore keeping. Yeah. I, I, I'll always love O'Shags, but I think that tight end room is going to be a little crowded for him. Yeah, it's going to have to be, right? You would expect at least three additions to that tight end room this offseason. Hmm. I would I expect at least one. The draft, I would expect at least one. Three minimum. Three minimum. Interesting. In my opinion. That's just me. I think it's I mean, somebody, I think you at least have two draft role somebody. players and and Dan Arnold and Manhurts, who was not impressive this year, but I think he can be impressive. He showed he can be in Carolina. And then I think Farrell is gonna end up being a guy that's gonna be fringe roster, maybe. He's probably going to be better than James O'Shaughnessy in the long run. Jacob Hollister, like we mentioned, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's probably not going to come back. But, yeah, tight end will be interesting. And and I do think they need to get a more bona fide tight end. I do. Yeah, I think Manhurts doesn't make the, the roster for 2022. Uh, really? Obviously, neither does Hollister. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they find find someone else. Uh if it's going to be Luke Farrell, maybe I think they practice maybe keeping him. But Luke Farrell would also be eligible for the practice squad next year as well. So he has a little bit more versatility what you can do with him in regards to moving him back and forth. But, yeah, I don't see Chris Manhurts on this roster next year. They're going to move. I think they're going to have, obviously, Dan Arnold, who's definitely a vertical threat and more of a receiving threat than anybody else. But you'd think they have to at least sign one guy. There's obviously a really good connection with a guy like Zach Ertz and at least draft one tight end as well. So I just don't think it's there. Top five free agency wish list. You want to kick us off with uh, one of your guys you're you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking wish list here. We're talking wish list, right? So this is anybody that we would love to I see on the Jaguars. To be a little realistic, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. It is yeah. a wish list. This is just a conversation. No, I know. I did. I did. I did. So the first guy that I would look at. And this kind of, I'll, I'll bring it back to, and this is not going to be any particular order. So just because I'm naming this guy first doesn't mean he's my most coveted free agent. But taking it back to the tackle discussion, to the offensive line discussion, and talking about adding depth, a guy like Teron Armstead, a little bit older, has had some injury issues in the past, going to demand a much higher number, would be a great sign. But if you are looking to draft Evan Neal at number one overall, and we all know how much Doug Peterson loves his offensive line, I think a guy that you should target in this free agent class is Trent Brown. Go look at Trent Brown. Naturally plays right tackle. So you're not going to have to pay him premier left tackle money. That's just how the market works. He's not going to demand as much money. You could bring him in to supplant and and compete with Jawan Taylor. Not only Jawan Taylor, but Walker Little as well. You give yourself a chance to have uh, you know some really good competition there. If he beats out Walker Little, great. We have some flexibility with Jawan Taylor and Walker Little. On the left side, you go ahead and you draft Evan Neal. And I think if you take that guy at number one overall, he needs to be a cornerstone. He needs to be a left tackle. That's really the only place that I could see 
you taking a tackle number one overall to be a left tackle. So I think you focus maybe on right tackle and not look at left tackle so much in free agency. Sure things up there, draft Evan Neal, have him sign to the left tackle. And I think you're set up great, not only to have two new cornerstone tackles, but also to give yourself some depth and some competition along the offensive line. You know, I'm a Gator fan. Love me some Trent Brown. I don't think he's a fit. I don't think he really fits in that zone rushing attack. I mean, he's been with the Patriots, who are a lot more of a gap power team. Do I think he would be better for you than Jawan Taylor? Yes, without question. But I'm not sold on that fit. But the guy you brought up before him, I am sold on that fit. Teron Armstead, 30 years old, but this guy still moves. Like, I think he's going to be able to play a long time. Like, Trent Williams is going to be able to play a long time, who already is playing a long time. Armstead, he still moves incredibly well. He's just one of those athletic freaks at the left tackle spot. I think if you're trying to build this thing around Trevor Lawrence, Going and getting one of the top five pass-protecting left tackles, who is also a scheme fit, he can get out and move very well. I I, I think it's a no-brainer if you can throw a bag at him and go get him. I know he's had his injury history, but guess what? That's why you have depth at your offensive tackle spot. And I am still okay with, with getting Teron Armstead and drafting Evan Neal. Because I know that at some point Armstead probably is going to get hurt and you're going to be able to get Neil out at tackle. And and then that I know it's not popular, but I'm fine with bolstering the entire offensive line through free agency in the draft. And if that means playing Evan Neal at guard for a little bit, um, so be it. I think you and build a Doug dominant, Peterson. a dominant offensive line for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and, and Doug Peterson has shown that he's not scared to do that as well. Um, who was it that they drafted? Oh, my gosh. Um, when he was – pretty sure he was out of Washington. Andre Dillard. Andre Dillard, I believe, um, was a pretty highly drafted player. First round. I'm looking yeah. this up right now that I thought about it. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, he didn't necessarily play right away and. I don't think Andre Dillard and Evan Neal are remotely the same player. I think Evan Neal is, is a much better prospect and player than Andre Dillard is. But right, Doug Peterson wasn't scared to take that guy early and let him progress and sit and bolster the depth of that offensive line before he thrust him into action. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I love Teron Armstead. So it couldn't be a bad, a bad move either way. I mean, I know people are like, oh, you can't take a guard at one. Well, he's not going to be a guard his whole career. And you are trying to allow Trevor Lawrence to have the best possible sophomore season that he can. Getting these guys up there in front blocking for him, I just I would love to see it. Yeah, and and I hate I do understand that obviously certain positions are more valuable than others, but when you have the number 1 overall pick, the number 1 overall pick and you have a quarterback Quarterback trumps everything, obviously. Quarterback is the ace. Trumps everything on any situation, any scenario, when you're ever talking about football or building a team. But we have that in place, right? We have Trevor Lawrence. He's our quarterback. When you have the number one overall pick in the draft, you get the blessed, not the blessed, 
the best and most blessed with talent player available. I don't care who it is outside of a punter or a kicker. The best player in the draft is who you target at number one, no matter what. Yeah, and for my money, I do still think Kyle Hamilton's the best player in the draft, but guess what? He ain't keeping Trevor Lawrence upright. Yeah, I'm not sure they believe that. (laughs) Evan Neal is my top guy. And and for what it's worth, I, I did this in my mock draft, my predictive mock draft. I had them taking Aiden Hutchinson at one. Um, T-Wig, Tony Wiggins over from Locked On Jaguars, good friend. He had some sources that suggested Aiden Hutchinson is the top guy or was the top guy prior to the Doug Peterson staff being put in place. And to our knowledge, there's no difference in what the front office is thinking because it's the same front office as of right now. So, you know, it's possible that Aiden Hutchinson is the Jaguars' top guy. I just wanted to throw that out there for people. Um, little tidbit there, but I just cannot get over Teron Armstead, Evan Neal, Brandon Linder. If that's your left tackle, left guard, and center, my goodness, you got to love that side of the ball. It would be a, a huge upgrade from what we have now. That would be easily said. Easily stated without compare. That would uh, Teron Armstead, Evan Neal, and Brandon Linder compared to Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, and Brandon Linder. Does that not just give you goosebumps? It does. I mean, <laughs> thinking about Armstead and Neal playing next to each other. Right and, next to each other. Oh. And then Linder being right there too. God. I mean, that could be the most dominant. That could be one of the most dominant offensive lines in football, that left side. I mean, it's a football dream. That's what that is. is. All right, so let's 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 move on. Stop gushing over the big guys here. Although we could do it all day. Who else you got for me? Another guy that that I like, you talked about earlier, bolstering uh, the other safety across from Andre Cisco, Marcus Williams. 25 years old, still young, out of New Orleans. Has shown some great things. Um, I think him and and Andre Cisco both um, have a great skill set for hawking the ball, for finding the ball, especially in the pass game. I think Andre Cisco definitely gives you more in the run game and in and more of a run support role. I think he moves uh, to your sort of rover robber type safety right can drop him down into the box can disguise coverages and blitzes with him because i think he's that athletic and having marcus williams paired up with him what i i think would just absolutely again be a huge upgrade over rayshon jenkins or rudy ford or daniel thomas or whoever else is in that safety room young not going to demand top of the line safety money in this market with tyron matthew also out there i mean does that sound like a bad situation to you? I love it. And Marcus Williams, he's been one of those guys that has been, you know, potentially hitting free agency for the last few years. It hasn't really happened for him. I would love to bring him in, play next to Andre Cisco. And for everybody out there thinking, oh, Rayshon Jenkins only signed last year. He's a starter. He's a team captain. There's a team out after 2022. Rayshon Jenkins call him a leader, call him whatever you want. He cost the team on the field with his penalties more than he did anything positive for that team last year. And it's an upgrade. 
So again, yeah, Massive get that out of your mind. This team won three games, four games in the last two years. You need upgrades across the board. Doesn't matter who it is or when they were signed or, or who they are. Marcus Williams is plain and simple a better safety than Rayshon Jenkins. It's an upgrade. And he's younger. By a long shot. And cheaper. Well, actually, he's not cheaper. I take that back. Not cheaper. Definitely not won't cheaper. be cheaper. But yeah. who cares? Money ain't a thing. Harold Landry. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with him. He's uh, kind of wreaked havoc in the backfield in Jacksonville over the last couple years. Titans edge rusher. He also comes from a 3-4 scheme. I think he would be maybe not the perfect compliment to Josh Allen, but a damn good one. He's been getting a ton of pressures, ton of sacks over the last couple of years, extremely fast, can bend the edge, can really put pressure on offensive tackles with his athletic ability. He's kind of what you wish Caleb on chase on would be. I don't think chase on is on track to get there anytime soon. So you bring in Harold Landry, who's young himself. I think he's only 25 or 26 years old. Steal him from a division rival who is strapped for cash. Obviously, they could move things around to try to keep him, but if they don't, snatch him up, throw him a bag, get him uh, in there, and you got him taking attention away from Josh Allen. I think both guys could benefit from playing with each other. Absolutely. Hare Landry would be a great fit. The Caleb on Chase on experiment needs to be over. He is not going to be a guy who is going to be a solid compliment to Josh Allen, but go ahead. I don't think you give up, right? Like, keep him around, keep trying to develop him, but you can't bank on it happening anymore. Oh, yeah. He's just depth at that point. He becomes a depth piece himself. We're not trying to build depth for him. He becomes a depth piece, and it just is what it is. You missed. He's had some, obviously, small flashes here and there, but has not even remotely showed signs of becoming an effective edge rusher or really an edge player at all at the NFL level. I mean, he just truly hasn't. So, Getting a guy that you can compliment Josh Allen with on the other side of the football, I think it's paramount to the defense this year. Take some attention away from him, like you mentioned, and give him a better chance of, of becoming the dominant defensive end that he is. And then also, obviously, giving your defensive line a better chance to get pressure across the board because right now it's not happening all that often. Um, another guy also staying on the, on the same side of the ball here, um, defensive end as well, um, that I was looking at. Guy that's not necessarily an outside 3-4 guy, but an inside 3-4 guy, Akeem Hicks. I think we also need to work on getting a guy who can make the quarterback uncomfortable from inside the pocket. We don't really have a lot of those guys right now. Jacksonville did not get a great deal of pressure up the middle. And look how disruptive a guy like Aaron Donald can be up the middle. In this 3-4 defense, you're going to get ends who are going to be primarily rushing B-gap a lot. That inside pressure, I think, is going to be huge for quarterbacks, especially if you can get a guy to compliment Josh Allen, like Harold Landry, or someone like it, to create uh, you know, a lot more pressure on, on both edges. It's going to also allow you to be more successful on creating pressure inside over top of the guards in that B-gap. They need somebody that could do that. It would be a huge help to the edge guys as well. I think Akeem Hicks, um, 32 I think he's going to be 33 before the 2022 season. So um, he's obviously here at the back end of his career, and he may want to go look for a contender. But if you could get him here at the right price to put some pressure on the quarterback from the inside, I think you're in a good position. 
Yeah, the only thing you would say about Hicks is that age, right? And um, I believe he's been dealing with some injuries lately throughout his career. But if you can get him right, could be a home run. He's still playing at a very high level um, when, when healthy, obviously. So, yeah, I like that. I think that could really work. I don't know that he would want to come here and kind of go through a rebuild, even if it could be a quick rebuild, which make no mistake about it. It absolutely can be a quick, quick rebuild in Jacksonville. If they, they pull the right triggers over the last uh, or over the next couple months, another guy, um, the rest of the guys I have are offensive. And I think, you know, for good reason, you've got to get Trevor Lawrence going in year two, Chris Godwin. I know he tore the ACL in December he should be fully healthy by the time training camp rolls around. Um, if you're if you're bringing back DJ Chark or another outside guy, Chris Godwin, man in the slot for you. He's a slot superstar who can also win on the outside, who also is a hell of a blocker in the running game, who does everything for you. If you can land this guy, I don't care if it takes 18, 19, 20 million dollars a year. He's entering the prime of his career. Get that man in Trevor Lawrence's back pocket, and I think you'll prosper. If the Jaguars would have hired Byron Leftwich, I would have told you that they probably had a 50-50 shot of landing Chris Godwin. They got I Mike think without Byron Leftwich, <laughs> they do have Mike Caldwell. So I guess if there's any connection there for whatever reason, that that is a small possibility. But I think without Byron Leftwich, that connection obviously dwindles. Um, and I think that that becomes a very unlikely scenario for the Jaguars. Um, it's all about the money, baby. The, it is all about the money. It is all about the money. I, I don't know that he would have to be your, you know, all out guy. You would have to go above and beyond. I think in my opinion, what his market value is, persuade him to come to Jacksonville over someone else is probably going to offer him the same amount of money, right? I think the only receiver Jacksonville would have that kind of leverage with because of the money would be Devontae Adams, right? Because he's going to demand such a high number that only three teams could even potentially remotely even come close to matching. So Chris Godwin, a little bit of a smaller number. I think he's going to have more suitors available to him, and I'm not sure if he's worth the amount that Jacksonville would have to overpay him to bring him in. But I want to stay focused on the wide receivers because we have to get some depth. We have to bring in depth. I don't think Devonta Adams is going to be able to leave Pittsburgh. I don't think they let him. I don't think Chris Godwin comes to Jacksonville. Pittsburgh. So I'm sorry, green Bay. I don't know what I was thinking. Pittsburgh green. Is, Bay. Uh, are you getting a little Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams over in Pittsburgh action? Maybe I've gotten a little bit of a sixth sense telecommunication here. <laughs> I like it. it. Maybe if Aaron Rodgers goes to Pittsburgh, I mean, don't say I said it first, but well, you know, I mean, that's a Super Bowl contender right there. Absolutely. And I mean, Devontae could follow him. I think the Packers are going to franchise tag him, though, personally. So yeah, it looks like. But it. but anyway, so so sticking back to, to wide receivers, you need depth. You're not. I don't think the Jaguars have a really shot of going and getting a top guy here. So two guys that I've been looking at that could, I think add some very valuable depth and I'll give you the option of which one we choose here, but they're both from the jets. I think Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole are both solid options. They're just guys. They're depth guys. You're not bringing them in to be, 
you know, anything more than just a rotational player here. But Keelan Cole has had success in Jacksonville, kind of got buried on the depth chart a little bit in New York. And Jamison Crowder has been a quietly consistent wide receiver. He's not putting up, you know, huge years, but he's been quietly effective for most of his time there in New York and had a pretty decent year this year as well. Again, nothing crazy, but again, we're talking about just guys that are adding depth that can still make a play for you every now and then. I think both of those guys um, are an upgrade on, you know, behalf of the guys we had behind them, at least this year, definitely Tavon Austin. So I think that's interesting. Um, in a vacuum, I think both of those guys are definitely good role players for a team. I think Jamison Crowder has been just one of those underrated slot superstars for quite a while now, and he he just gets the job done from the slot all the time. The thing is, I don't think depth is the need. I think frontline talent is the need. You have Jamal Agnew. You have Marvin Jones, who's coming back. You have LaVisca Chenault. There's your depth right there. That can be your fourth, fifth, and sixth guys right there. In my mind, you need those top three guys. And Crowder yeah. could be. Crowder could be right there. Crowder could be your number three, your your slot receiver that's your third uh, target of your receiving group. Tavon Austin, I think, obviously, isn't remotely on the Jaguars' radar this upcoming year. He really shouldn't have been this year, but it is what it is. Laquan Treadwell, we're really kind of banking on the late season I'm not surge that he had. If you keep him around and say that you'd rather have him as depth over some of these guys. That's just, I'm kind of just kind I'm, of I'm saying here. Visca, Marvin Jones, and Jamal Agnew. I'm just going through them all, and I'll get there too. Yeah. Jamal Agnew, okay. again, I think is a guy that you're banking on had a breakout year, but truly is a special teamer and may relegate back to that role. If you rely on him as depth, I think he could also potentially let you down. LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones are, really, I think, the only two guys that you can look at and say, you know, they could be your depth right there. But Marvin Jones really kind of didn't, I, I think personally, at least for Jamison Crowder. Right, I think those two, given their years, could be a total toss-up. I, I could say that I think Jamison Crowder could be above Marvin Jones on the Jeb chart and vice versa. And then from LaVisca Chanel. Different skill sets, of course, for yes, those two type. Absolutely, absolutely. Different types but of players. With, with what you're looking for and what you want to do, I think, in this offense, I think you really could go either way with those guys. So that already takes Jamison Crowder and puts him up near the top. And then with LaVisca Chenault, after what we saw in year one, compared to what we saw in year two, I'm not ready yet confident to say that he's a top four receiver on a roster. Too many five or six is fine. Huge issues. Right. It is. But if you take, but these guys have already made their way up above all of those guys. So even if you have depth, I still want quality depth. If these guys become the depth and they're better than all of the guys that were our depth, quote unquote, then why not make that upgrade? You're still upgrading your depth. And it's like you said, you need a top-of-the-line guy. You you really do. You absolutely do. And I don't think this offense makes a big change um, from year one and year two with Trevor Lawrence if they don't get a top-of-the-line receiver, whether it be through free agency or they get lucky in the draft. But I think at the same time, if you still upgrade that room and the depth there, you'd be better off to do it. You, you need more. I don't think just- it hurts to get him in camp. No. And, and see what happens. Not at all. You'd have to have him in camp. Uh, you, I would hope, hopefully, all those guys, plus we bring on, you know, you, I would still, maybe besides Tavon Austin. No offense to that guy, but I don't think, you know, he necessarily needs to be at camp next year. You want to have that competition, but don't you think that these guys are oh, already yeah. probably better depth players than what we have? 
That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, Keelan Cole and and Jamison Crowder, if you wanted to bring one of those guys in or both, I don't care, and have them compete to be third or fourth on the depth chart, I'm good with that. I don't know yeah. if you can do that money-wise, but um, I agree with the the thought process. Let's improve yeah. the depth I want to at wide receiver. Exactly. Exactly. I know it's there. I know we have it, but I'm not necessarily in I love. do like Agnew. I like him a lot, but he's got to come back from his injury. Marvin Jones is obviously leaning, you know, probably one foot out the door already. And then, so? um, well, he only signed a two-year contract. Yeah. <laughs> Next year is year two. That's um, a good point. Year one wasn't exactly a great experience for him, if I had to say. Uh, and then Visca, I'm not quitting on him, but I'm not relying on him to be a top three receiver for my team. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, um, another guy I've got, and this is just me being an offensive line sicko. You know how I said, okay, we've got our Teron Armstead, Evan Neal, Brandon Linder, Walker Little maybe over at right tackle. He was getting work in this season, said he feels comfortable over there. How about Brandon Scherf at right guard, and we just have an all-star cast (laughs) of offensive linemen? (laughs) That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I thought we were being realistic here, man. I don't think it's unrealistic to sign Armstead and Scherf. No, nah, I'm just really don't. crap. I, it, it, that, that's a dream situation. It's a dream situation, and that's why I can't realistically like, wrap my Doug head around Peterson, it. You're saying, dude, I've been to the top of the mountain. I need you guys to be key pieces to my offensive line to get us there with Trevor Lawrence. Let's roll. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, an it, easy pitch if you've got the money behind you. You have to. You have to. I I agree hundred percent. And I think for an offensive lineman, it's a little bit different, right? Unless an individual has a certain persona or is really looking for just the Super Bowl, looking for the ring, you're not getting any headlines as an offensive lineman, right? Your your name's not popping up. You're not getting all the recognition. Take the money, man. If you can put enough money at these guys, you could realistically make it happen. And but it's a dream. That'd be a dream scenario to have. To go from from Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, AJ Cam, Ben Barch, and Jawan Taylor, Teron Armstead, Brandon Scherf. I'm sorry, Evan Neal. I guess you could put there, or however you want to do it. It doesn't matter. Scherf has been playing right guard. He might be able to Scherf, play left guard. Either Neal, way. Armstead, Linder, Little, or whoever you always find it to, to fix the right tackle. I mean, like you said, that, that that's a dream come true. The offensive line is light years better than it was last year, and, and it gives you a good hope that they would actually be able to protect Trevor Lawrence. And I don't care who you're throwing the ball to if you got those guys protecting for you. You'd have all day. Now, I mean, eventually, we'll get open. <laughs> Obviously, I'm being facetious there. You've got to improve the wide receivers. But if you can build an offensive line like that, and it's on the table, because even if you can't get sure, if you can get an upgrade, in my opinion, um, there's some other guys I like a lot. James Daniels is the offensive lineman, the guy I was talking about earlier, who's going to be going into his second contract at – let me figure out exactly how old he is. It's it's ridiculous. And he was a highly touted guard coming out of Iowa. You love the Iowa guards. This guy is 24 years old going into his second contract. He got moved around quite a bit in Chicago, but – 
another perfect zone scheme fit. He is very athletic, can really get out and move. Uh, he's not the he's not at the level of Brandon Scherf right now. But when you talk about a ceiling for James Daniels, the potential of James Daniels, twenty four years old, get him in one spot, lock him in, and uh, see what he can do. I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, young offensive line depth, the the ability to have a potential, you know, breakout star. I don't. I, that's not necessarily the word I'm looking for, but the people to take a guy like that with that age, right, and still be able to mold him and, into something great. I mean, you're you're basically taking a guy and making him your own. He's still so young in the league. I think that he's younger great. than some of the freaking rookies in this class for crying out loud. Yeah, right. I mean, that that's <laughs> insane. And so uh, to have a guy that young with that much NFL experience already as well, there's still so much time for him to grow, mature, and become a much better offensive lineman. Again, it, you, it can't hurt. You bring that guy in, and, and if he's not ready yet, depth. We've said it a million times. Depth, depth, depth. All right, so who else you got? Uh, my last one, um, again, might be someone a little bit, maybe not on everybody's radar, um, but I think that the Jaguars still need to you know, bolster the interior of their defensive line as well. I like Malik Collins. Coming out of Houston, only 27 years old, I believe. Um, you know, defensive tackle, again, not a guy who's bending the needle in any way, shape, or form, but has shown the ability to make some plays and, and is a guy who I think could provide some depth for you there as well. Tell you what he did in, in 2021. Beat the crap out of the Jaguars a couple times. That he did. That he did. And, and you know, he's, he's had a little bit of an up-and-down career already in the NFL. But, I mean, the dude's just an absolute monster an absolute monster and i think the jaguars have a lot of actually decent young players on the interior of the defensive line go get you another one devon hamilton still pretty young has shown some good signs even doug costin obviously you know he's a guy who you'd like to have again towards the bottom of your depth chart i think a great role player so go ahead and beef up the top but could you imagine that rotation malik collins devon hamilton doug costin even Malcolm Brown, truthfully, you know, I guess he's more of an end in that scheme that they had last year, excuse me, but a guy who can play on the interior of the defensive line, that's a pretty good rotation, if you ask me. I like it. And that's a that's a value signing. Oh, absolutely. Right? I like you're it. Not, you're not, I don't even know what spot track has. I can probably look it up real quick. I don't know he what he probably doesn't even have a market His value. His market value is. He was only making $5 million this year. I mean, that that's that's virtually nothing. Breaking your pocket, I mean, you probably overpay him a little bit to get him to come here. But, um, you know, a couple other guys I just wanted to put out there as my honorable mentions a guy like Brandon Williams out of Baltimore, another interior defensive line guy that How a little bit older. Uh, I think he's 32 yeah. now or 33. About to be 33. So definitely yep. a shorter contact. So, um, a guy like Akella Witherspoon is a cornerback out of Pittsburgh. I think you have to add some cornerback depth. Darius Williams out in LA. And then if you're looking to add, a tight end in free agency. Don't forget, Max Max Williams is also a free agent coming up this year. Mm-hmm. Max, and that's X's. what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna talk about last. Is tight oh, end. My bad. No, Jump you're good. Here. No, we're we're right here. This is this this is the end of this wish list conversation. So we're good to go. But what I was gonna say, Zach Ertz. Had the best years of his career under Doug Peterson. 
I know he's up there in age, but he kind of played incredibly well for Arizona after he got over there last year. He's a free agent. He's not my number one target at tight end and free agency, but if you want to reunite Zach Ertz with Doug Peterson and make Trevor Lawrence the beneficiary of that relationship, I could see a lot worse ways to upgrade the tight end room. But Dalton Schultz, I mean, this is a guy didn't seem like a super athlete coming out of college, but he has just proven to be one of the more impressive receiving tight ends over in Dallas. And he can also, you know, He's not a glorified wide receiver. He can actually play tight end. He can get in there and do the dirty work as well. I think he's not going to be cheap. But Dalton Schultz, if you really wanted to get that legit do-it-all tight end and you don't want to worry about it in the draft, Dalton Schultz, he could be the guy for you. Yeah, all three of those guys immediately add a bunch to your passing game, right? I mean, if you're looking for a vertical stretch to field tight end, you can have your pick the litter there with Zach Ertz, Max Williams, and Dalton Schultz. They're all extremely good receivers. And like you mentioned, yeah, Zach Ertz is getting up there in age a little bit, but he still played some good football with the Cardinals last year. And think about how many tight ends, like we think about the best, the best tight ends in football, right? You think about Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, right? Jimmy Graham, maybe all of these receiving vertical type tight ends, because they're not banging around on the offensive line, you know, and they're not busting their heads and skulls in against, you know, defensive linemen and linebackers every single play. These receiving tight ends are almost like receivers nowadays with the way that they're protected as receivers, right? They are much, much, much more improved when it comes to career longevity, I think, now these days than they had been in the past. So just because Zacherts, I think he's turning, what, 33? I think 32 or 33 is getting up there in age. That doesn't mean I don't think he can be an effective receiving threat for the Jaguars. He's not going to bang it up there with you, you know, on, on the line, but he didn't do that in Philly to begin with. You're looking for a receiving threat. And I think he could absolutely be that for the Jaguars for at least another two years. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he turns 32 in December. He does not look like he's out of gas based on not what he all. did in Arizona. Not at all. Back end of his career, yes, but are we really going to sit here and say that 32 was really that old? I mean, he's the same age as Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I'm not saying he is Travis Kelsey, <laughs> but can Zach Ertz still be a top 10 receiving tight end in the NFL? I don't see why not. And Zach Ertz feels so much older than Travis Kelsey, which is weird because I feel like Travis Kelsey took a while to to really kind of find himself in the NFL. Don't get me wrong. He's been a spectacular player forever now it seems like but doesn't feel like it kind of took him a couple years to really hit stride zach Ertz came out of stanford and like immediately was a guy there was no mm-hmm. waiting he was he hit it straight. a little quicker right he hit that stride immediately he was one of the best tight ends for first six or seven years of his career so now you kind of feel like you're in the back end of it but you look at it like you said only 32 that's not that old at all yeah very effective in arizona last year so I'd be in on that if that's what they wanted to do. Again, not my number one tight end target in this free agency class, but he seems like a guy that's very likely to hit free agency, has the connection with Doug Peterson. A lot of those dots kind of line up there and connect for, for Zach Ertz to Jacksonville. And that's it. And I just want to remind everyone, I think improving the offensive line, and I think you said that last week, is the most important thing you can do. And I don't, I don't mean just like minor improvements. Go get the best offensive lineman you possibly can. Throw the money at them. 
I don't care if you have to play Evan Neal at guard or at right tackle. I don't care. Protect the investment. Protect Trevor Lawrence, and you will see better results. What you just said sums it up perfectly. Protect the investment, and again, go get the best player. A lot of people are going to sit back and argue the Bengals, right? The Bengals passed on Sue well. They went out and got Jamar Chase, and look at that. They made it the Super Bowl. I hear you. They also lost the Super Bowl, I think, because their offensive line was not great. Now, I personally don't think they get there if they draft Suell instead of Jamar Chase. But I agree. We're talking about a, we're talking about a completely different class of player, and I think this year, if you look at the same situation, there is not a single receiver that is remotely well, not anymore because they all blew out their knees, but is not remotely close to the type of player that you're getting in Evan Neal. You look at Jamar Chase and Panache yes. well. Who's Jamar Chase this year? So much closer. You Who's don't have Jamar one. Chase this year. You don't have one, in my opinion. I mean, you. I, th- I think the, the, the person you're probably going to look at now would be Garrett Wilson, no? He's not Jamar Chase. I mean, he's going to play, in Chase. my mind, a lot more like Stephon Diggs, who is also a superstar in his own right. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that's a conversation for another day. He's not. He's not Jamar Chase. Like he's There's not, not one physically dumb. In my opinion, and I don't feel as confident in saying this as I did about Jamar Chase because for me, Jamar Chase was a blue chip player. I had four blue chip players last year: Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jamar Chase, and Kyle Pitts. That was it. I do not have a blue chip receiver this year, but the guys for me that have the opportunity to be. Closest to that are Drake London and Traylon Burks. And Burks, I mean, he has the potential to really be a game changer. If he comes out and he runs as fast as I expect him to run, which is high four threes, low four fours, I mean, he's going to be tough to handle in the NFL. I already know he's going to be tough to handle. But neither of those guys are the talent at receiver that Jamar Chase is, as much as I love them both. And there's a lot of other receivers I love. I love Garrett Wilson, too. None of these guys are Jamar Chase. That's the point. Oh, I cannot wait to get to combine season. Please, yeah. please, let's get to combine season. Oh, I can't wait to look at these guys. I can't wait Less to look at these weeks. guys. Now, now it's just, oh, man. Can't wait. Let's go find that guy. I want the Jaguars to find that guy. But can we find that guy late? You know, Can, can we find our Cooper Cup at some point? Like the Jaguars Stephon have to hit Dick on was a fourth-round pick. Fourth-round pick. Third-round pick, Cooper Cup. Fourth-round pick, Stephon Dix. Where was Tyreek Hill drafted? Was he a high drafted? Uh, he was late as well. Uh, he might have yeah. been the second round. I think it's third round, though. Let's see here. The fact of the matter is, Jaguars have never had one of those guys. you got to get one at some point. Everybody well, has one. I never. But it's been a minute. <laughs> Actually, Tyreek Hill was in the fifth round. Unbelievable. Obviously really? undersized, but just, yeah. just the freakiest speedster in the nfl bar none and and he's got ball skills he's, he's a baller um but yeah before we get out of there here then quick yeah. question fire off here go ahead and use me who's the last impactful skill player that the jaguars drafted outside of the third round after the third round well let's say third saying? and later let's 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 give you yeah third and later. let's give you a little bit of more uh, of an open window there because well, who's the first person that comes to mind has to be a third round or later I mean, James Robinson was undrafted. Okay. Okay. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. 
in but no way shape or form that has James Robinson gotten to the gotten to the point he's not going to be as much as I love James Robinson. I think he's fantastic. He's not going to be to the Jaguars what Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, um, and obviously different positions, but just the impact. No, he's not going to have important. that kind of impact. Right. You're right. I don't think they've ever had one. I really do not think they've ever had one. I have to go back and look, but think about the best players in Jaguars history. Maybe that's our homework. None of them. There you go. Well, they haven't had a lot of great receivers in general, right? I mean, Jimmy Smith, they got because the Cowboys released him. Keenan Mm -hmm. McCardell was the same type of thing. Uh, Who else has been a great receiver for the Jaguars? And I'm not, it doesn't have to be just a receiver. I mean, it could be any skill, any, any skill position player. They have not gotten a great Fred Taylor. Was and a I don't first think round pick. is a great player. Yep. Yeah. Fred Taylor is a first round pick. Maurice Jones drew is a second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Who else has been good on offense? No one. <laughs> it's also true. This <laughs> is also true. <laughs> Allen Robinson was a second round pick. Allen Hearns was a third round pick. No, Alan right. Hearns was undrafted. Was he undrafted? Yeah, yeah. You got to give props to uh, Tony Khan. He is the kind that of maybe the, that may be the best player. Well, I mean James Robinson. No, better than the Alan James Hearns, definitely so. better. Yeah, don't even don't even let me go there. Anyways, food <laughs> for thought. Yeah, but yeah, you got anything else before we wrap? No. Thank you guys as always. I know it's late. We kind of ran long with this one. I get the rambling. It always happens. But uh, just again, Good appreciate conversation though. Yeah, I just appreciate the ride. Appreciate what we do. And again, I say this every time. Couldn't do it without people that listen. So thank you guys for your support always. And I'm excited to to keep this thing going. Hell yeah! Make sure to uh, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Really helps us out. Helps more people find the show. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. Shout out to Bold City Brewery and shout out to all of our dedicated listeners. And I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Hopefully we can get some final coaching announcements like the actual Jaguars confirming the coaching staff. And like we said, we've got the combine coming up soon, free agency, and then the draft. So it's going to be a wild couple months here. Enjoy the rest of your week, Duval. Thanks for listening and go Jags. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.